lost deep in the pages of your Bible are the books that are unmentioned, unheard of, and unread. They are the forgotten books of the Bible. Welcome to Your Church Friends Podcast. I'm Chris. I'm Mirdlich. So the last episode went a little longer than we thought as we were talking, and uh, we decided that we're going to just split the episode into two parts again. I keep saying that people can just pause the episode, but two is better. Yeah, two helps. Yeah. So uh, we're going to pick up the conversation right where we left off from the last episode, so enjoy. I'm going to bring it around to another point just with this older generation, is that I would say that over our lifetimes and probably a bit beyond on either side is that the world has just changed so much so quickly in so many different ways and in so many different ways and we talk about that off the show a lot Mm -hmm. right especially intergenerationally and stuff but I feel like that's where there's a lot of churches that spring up that know how to focus after young people you know what I mean Mm -hmm but don't have that older generation around and you have a lot of young people coming and are hearing the gospel and are devoted to God and like that's great but it's like when you have people who are younger who were raised in the generation they were raised in who don't know about the things that came before and that's just like the pool of knowledge that you have I think that there's such a lack there when again if you go back to the qualifications of these older men and women it's not that they need to know how to hook up their smartphone and their smart TV and all this stuff, right? It's just like, know the character that they have. Yeah. And when we are at the point of the older generations are getting older and they know something about a life that didn't have a lot of the wickedness that is just normal for younger generations now. They knew what it was like to have tighter knit families, to have expanded families that were all connected, to be part of a church community that was thriving and all these things. Like they have the experience of those things. They know what it was to go through the thing of becoming a disciple and building that character in themselves. And it's like, it's a shame to not seek after those relationships while we can still have them. Because once that experience is gone, we don't have that experience. And I feel like there's a lot of things that happen intergenerationally to where the younger people are just like, the old people don't understand us. And the old people are just like, y'all are stupid. And there's a reason we don't understand you. You're stupid. (laughs) Like, you know, whatever it is, but just the animosity that can happen between generations. And it's like that that's really built off of the wrong things. Mm -hmm. Like if we could bring it around to younger people being able to say, look, you don't understand a lot of what it's like to live in the world that I live in. But you lived in the world that you lived in, and I still need to learn to live the way that you did. Because, man, you're 85, and you've been married for 65 years. You know something about having a good marriage that I need to learn. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And things like that. It's like, yeah, you're, our political views might be different, and our views on what school should cost and why I should be able to afford a four-year university by working at McDonald's. Like, okay, yeah, that's fine. Like, we're we're not going to agree on some of that stuff. But the character building and what God does, like, you know, I think that I'm so happy for younger churches that reach people, but we're definitely at a point where I'm feeling like we need to pull generations together and we'll see a lot of benefit coming from that. Yeah, I really think uh, it's like the world 
pits it this way that uh, the older generation has to keep the younger one out or else the fear of the younger will screw it up. And the younger generation is like, it's my time, old man, get out of the way. Uh, but biblically, you do see a lot of like, no, we're together mm-hmm. feeding, strengthening one another. I can't remember what king it was. Rehoboam, Jeroboam, one of the first ones, whoever Solomon's son was uh, that lost the the tribes where it split. And mm-hmm. it was like all he had to do, like the old people who were advisors to his dad came and like, this is what you need to do. And he was like, okay. And then his friends were like, nah, don't do that. Do this. And he's like, all right, I'm going to do that instead. And then he lost the kingdom. Yeah. Like he, it split because of it. Um, and it, all he had to do was simply just follow the advice of someone who had been there. Learn to be more self-controlled. Because really, he was like, I'm going to make things harder for you guys. I'm going to tax you even harder. I'm going to make things worse. Like, that's what his young friends were saying. Like, be more oppressive. Be more ruthless. And the older people are like, no, treat them kindly. Treat them right. Do this. And then you'll win their favor over, uh, again, self-control. So within that self-control, but I just like that there's a full chapter in Titus that deals with this. And I think that there's a thing of being younger and learning to submit yeah. to somebody older. Even if you don't, like, obviously find somebody that has these qualifications, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> don't just go find some random old person like, hey, teach me the way, because then you might get those false teachers he's talking about. But there is something about finding somebody and submitting to that. Because if there's anything about being young, it's a situation that you just gave in that yeah. example, right? All the young people are just super brash. Nah, go for it. This is the thing. This is the thing. It's just like, no, if you can learn to submit, like that will teach you so much to mm-hmm. just have somebody else help temper you and control you. You know what I mean? Yeah. So this is a bit of our more preaching episode. So I'm trying to give out some of these. Like, I don't know the age range of most of our listeners. But like if it's if you're younger find that mm-hmm. and really if i don't know how young if you're in like a youth group even i don't know the age of your leaders in your youth group they might only be a couple years older than you go and find somebody older than that even mm-hmm. like you know have good relationships have multiple mentors like have multiple mentors as i think it's a fantastic thing yeah but learn to submit like be open share what it is that you're going through but realize that like what it is that you need to grow and learn as well. Agreed. Yes. All right, I got my second thought. We're only on thought one. Yeah, that was the right life was thought one, yeah. Okay. Uh, step two is the right doctrine. Mm. And so Titus 2, 11 through 15 is, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled. There's that word again. Upright and godly lives in the present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people uh, that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These then are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Uh, Do not let anyone despise you. And uh, to me, it's when we fully understand it is the gospel of grace of God that teaches us how to live a Christian life. Um, John Stott, on a commentary on this portion of Scripture, says, uh, But grace appeared visible in Jesus Christ. Uh, God's saving grace given us before the beginning of time has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior. It is brightly displayed in his lowly birth, 
in his gracious words and compassionate deeds, and above all in his atoning death, he himself, full of grace, his coming uh, was moreover uh, about the saving grace of grace that brings salvation. It appeared to all men in the sense that it is now publicly offered to all, even slaves. Uh, and this is why we need the right doctrine. It's so crucial to our life. Um, Stott, it just is beautiful the way he said that uh, grace appeared visibly in Jesus Christ. I had never in my 30 plus years of being a Christian connected that dot that grace, the gospel of grace of what Jesus did, it was visible in his life, in his actions, in his deeds, in his birth, in everything. It is like this is grace on display. Uh, I kind of metaphorically got it, but to actually tie the two together. Sometimes just having that connection so yeah. solidly made you like, oh yeah, I've been thinking that, but now you gave me the way to mm -hmm. express it. Yeah, I get you. They're like, this is uh, grace personified. It's, it's grace is our savior and it teaches us and disciplines us. I don't know. We have plenty of conversations about like, oh, teachings and thoughts and ways of our current generation that seem popular, but are they actually biblical and helpful? Mm -hmm. This is one of those sections that I feel like to just call the truth of it out gets people up in arms. And cool. So if we say, why did Jesus come? And I'll say that rhetorically. Because like, why did Jesus come? Because I started sweating when you asked the me. The more that you know about the gospel, it's just like, I sometimes it's like, there's so much that came from him coming, right? Mm -hmm. But like, cool, Jesus came to the cross. Like, for what? Well, to forgive me. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, that is true. If you stop at the singular definition there, then like you've stopped short. That is yeah. fully true. It's fully essential. When you get to verse 14, he gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people of his own possession, zealous for good deeds. So it's just like, yes, he, he gave himself so that you would be forgiven. Absolutely essential. So that your debt could be wiped clean, so that you would have no more shame, guilt, condemnation. You could enter and be reconciled into a relationship with the Father. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Like, that's a hallelujah moment and phrase within itself. And it's mm -hmm. just like, it's not knocking people just like, here's the importance of the gospel. But then to say, to redeem us from all lawlessness. Let me say it again, because he says it a different way in verse 12. It instructs us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live sensible, upright, and godly lives. A gospel that does not transform you, a gospel that leaves you in your sin with no expectation or standard for you to live a different way, to live holy in, in a holy way, to literally renounce the sin that you are doing and walk in a holy way. Like that is part of the gospel. That's part of what Jesus paid for on the cross. And me going to somebody else who says that they've received the gospel and putting that expectation and standard on them is not me being legalistic. Mm -hmm. That's me making sure that Jesus got what he paid for and that you're not ensnared in a sin and living a lie that the devil's put in. People want to come and just like, well, you're being legalistic and all this stuff. And I feel like that's changing a little bit. I feel like when we were more 10, 15 years ago, the whole yeah. legalism thing was like real hard. I don't hear it as much anymore, but it still lingers through because the teaching hasn't changed a lot. It kind of still just got left. But I would use the same example of what you did earlier with the with the elder. Which of these things do you not want to be? It's just like, 
You're saying that I'm legalistic. Which of these sins do you still want to commit? Yeah. Do you want to be a liar? Do you want to be a thief? Do you want to go commit adultery? You want to just look at everyone with lust. Like, what, you want to live a life of covetousness? Like, what issue do you take with me wanting you to have freedom from these things? Not only because you can, but it's what we're commanded to do. Mm -hmm. And it's part of the gospel. And again, and not only to redeem us for all lawlessness, so what happens in that? He's purifying for himself a people for his possession. That's his goal, is to purify for himself a people. And... It goes back to what Paul talks about. It's like, oh, should I keep on sinning so that grace right. would abound? Because, yeah, wherever there's sin, grace can cover up the sin. But God forbid. How can you who have died to sin keep on sinning? And it's just like, when we're talking about good doctrine, I think that this is one of those crucial things that leads to having these type of elders, that mm -hmm. leads to having these kinds of relationships, is that we need to really come into, like, no, what is it that... Jesus accomplished on the cross because I don't think that it's a lukewarm church that when there's a Pew or Barna research goes out that everybody in the church is committing the same level of sin as everybody outside of the church. And I'm not saying that I'm perfect or that I'm putting an expectation of perfection on people because yes, we can stumble in points and we can still confess and find forgiveness and be washed clean of those things. But to the extent that at this point we are not exhibiting the self-control, which self-control is a fruit of the Spirit, which means that if we are not a self-controlled people, we are grieving the Spirit, we are quenching the Spirit, we are walking in disobedience, and we're staying in the lawlessness. It's just, it's mind-boggling to me. To like, Jesus came to forgive me, but, and he fully raised from the dead power over life and death he defeated every enemy but you know my favorite temptation is too big of a deal for him to be able to get beyond mm -hmm. it just makes zero sense and it's a lie it's the it's abusing grace like we just yeah grace allows me to uh go out and still do whatever i want because god will ultimately forgive me because he's grace and it's abusing grace and uh really here what we're learning from that portion is that grace teaches us uh to say no to ungodliness but yes to self-control and upright and and so and that you can yeah that you have that ability so grace not only makes uh good works possible by enabling us to do them but it makes them necessary by changing us to live accordingly, to live that way. Um, and I really like that, that it, it's, if you ever hear someone preaching, live however you want because grace will cover you, run. Run far, run fast, because that is not what grace offers. But see, I don't think that that's what the teaching comes out as, because people would run far and run fast. False teachers are way smarter than mm -hmm. that, right? They just don't hold you to the standard and to the expectation. Yeah. They don't help rise you up and lift you up. That word that's all throughout the New Testament of edify, right? To encourage people and rebuke. And that's the thing. It's just like, I might not tell you that, oh, go and do your own thing. But if I'm not coming with a rebuke against it, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And even if I give a rebuke from the stage and from the pulpit, if there's no actual follow-through as far as how our church communities live, and th that's, again, one of the things that I have a fear of, just everybody is generally aware of the 
level of unholiness that tends to be um, around them. And it's just there. Yeah. You know what I mean? There, there's so much more uh, responsibility with grace. You know, there, there, it's just, if we think of it as like, grace is just an acceptance thing. It's, it's an actual walking. When I'm teaching, when something's being taught to me, it's being taught so that I can then implement it. Grace is to transform you. Right. And so how can then we, after we really fully understand grace and like we were talking about getting the right doctrine in our brain, uh, how can we then deliberately sin against the grace and kindness of God? Uh, I think that's the question that really has to come into our mind when we really start changing. That's what pops up. How can I really do this against the grace and the kindness my God has shown me? Uh, And in my response to it all, it's changing. Yeah. It's changing how how do I live? Uh, how am I going to live different from the island? Because that's what Crete was, right? Mm-hmm. Or just the world that we're on. And it comes down to grace. Grace changes us. And, and I really liked, again, uh, the connection of Jesus is grace in a sense. Because putting those together is like, oh, grace is Jesus who's teaching me. And I can look at his lifestyle and learn what to do and what not to. Which, two things that I want to touch on. But one of the things when you're talking about change, right, and how do we get to that point is that go off and the teaching of go off and do anything or there's no rebuke against the negative things, right? Mm-hmm. I've said it before is that the goal isn't just to get you to stop doing the negative. It's to get you to go full blown into the positive, which is where verse 14 kind of ends up. It's just like he's purifying himself of people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Yeah. That. People who have come to know Jesus should be zealous for good deeds, knowing that we've been saved uh, by grace through faith, right? Not of our own. And that he's already laid out the good works for us to walk. We've become a new creation, a masterpiece, right? To walk in the good works that he's already set before us and to realize that we're supposed to be a people that walk in these good works, that that's the whole like purpose of us here on earth mm-hmm. in a sense. Obviously, you can extrapolate out. But it's like if we're not being zealous for the good deeds— then all you're doing is trying to stop doing negative things. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And how Paul would say it as well is, is like, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If all you're trying to do is just not gratify the desires of the flesh, that's a losing battle because you yeah. have nothing to step into. When you allow yourself to step into walking by the Spirit, you're not going to have time. You're not even going to have the desire for it anymore. When mm-hmm. you're going and loving on people and giving and sharing life with people, and that's how your day goes, it becomes foolishness to go back to the sin. Mm-hmm. But if you're not experiencing all of the positive and the good things, then it's like, well, it's either sit here and do nothing or that thing is really tempting. Yeah, it's the right motivation. Yeah. It's a, a because of God's mercy and how good he's been to us, that should motivate us to devote ourselves to do God's work in our lives and to do God's work outside. Uh, and this really comes from understanding what God has done from us. I, I don't have time to read 3, 1 through 8, but that's really the good motivation chunk to me. Uh, but it's really just we need to understand, because in there it talks about how we were the enemies and how mm-hmm. we did these things. And I think he says, remember, you lived this way, right? Um that while we were still hostile and enemies to God, he showed us kindness, love, grace, and now we get to show that to other people. And that's the motivation. It's not 
I'm doing it for a specific thing. Like, honestly, if you're changing your life just to change your final destination, that's not what it's really about. Um, you know, if the gospel is all about just changing our destination, is that really the gospel? It shouldn't be about you getting into heaven. It should be right. about heaven getting into you. Exactly. And this is really why I'm like, Titus is just this amazing book. Uh, th there's one thing I want to touch on before I kind of wrap up for myself, but uh, that word justified, and I think it's somewhere in 3, 1 through 8, uh, he talks about us being justified. Yes. And I've always heard it as the legal term, right? That it's like um, uh, a legal sense of justification. And I got it, but it didn't it click fully until I just recently heard uh, that it's more like the Microsoft Word document. It's justified. Yeah. yeah where everything's in alignment, mm -hmm. you know, because there's the three, there's like right, left, uh, center, and then justified, and justified makes everything line up, line up perfectly. Uh, that when we're justified by grace, what that means is that my life is in alignment with God's will. And when my life is in alignment with God's will, I'm motivated to do what he wants me to do more than I am to do what I want to do. Um, and that really just clicks so yeah, much for yeah. me because I always, again, we always hear the same kind of preaching that's like this, this. And then when you hear something that's slightly different. Um, sometimes it's good. Sometimes yeah. It's and it, but this was one of the good, you know, like the Trinity thing we talked about last time. Yeah. Like it's always been the egg thing. And it's like that, that doesn't make sense anymore. But this uh, really clicked for me that uh, it's all about getting in alignment with God. And when I'm in alignment with God, yeah. then I'm, I'm right. Um, I, Not only are you right, you're righteous. Exactly. It's not just this abstract thought that Jesus' righteousness is put on you. It's that you're actually walking in his righteousness mm -hmm. yourself, which I think speaks so much more to the power of the cross. That it's not just, oh, cool, you're some unrighteous guy that's just like keeps on sinning and well, you're covered over Jesus thing. It's like, no, 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 he actually transformed you into his righteousness. That's that elders list that we saw at the beginning. Mm -hmm. That's in a life that's in alignment yep. with God. Um, and it's not, like you said, it's not about changing if I'm going to hell or not. It's about bringing heaven inside of me so that I could bring it outside to the people around me. And this is what I really thought was interesting. Uh, I didn't have time to mention in the last episode, but I'm glad I didn't because uh, it actually is really cool for this one that by the 8th century, there were over 70 healthy churches in Crete. Hmm. So uh, that means that what, what this written three-page letter that we have in our Bible uh, really stuck in those people's lives, those Cretans, those liars, brutes, gluttons, gluttons lazy. Uh, it really stuck, and it changed the dynamic of that small little island, that there were 70 churches that were healthy because they had the right motives, the right action, and the right doctrine. And this is why I loved Titus. When we were talking about last week, like I really fully believe these are going to be two separate episodes. It was that to me, mm -hmm. that doing all those things, having the right actions that come from the right belief, uh, having the right doctrine, having the right motives, really is what the church should be about. That's how you start up the church to be effective mm -hmm. in the community around it. That's how you bring change. I know you're saying that it was on your wrap-up. Maybe I can just go over this brief point and then bring it to another thing. But in case you got, haven't been able to tell, I really feel passionately about some of these things. Mm -hmm. And just on that thing of like, oh, grace and not transformation, people just living less than what they're called to and what Jesus 
paid for and all of those things is that there's this speaking of doctrine this doctrine of once saved always saved yeah that's what i'm saying <laughs> i'm bringing it out and yeah. with two minutes left on the, on the right but once saved always saved and people listening to this either you know that and that's what you've been taught and that's what you go with or you've never heard it before or you go that's not right because of all of these other things right so i know that people listening are across the board on it which just goes to show there are Christians that exist that believe different things and maybe even ignorant of the thing, and they're still Christian. Mm-hmm. My thing about once saved, always saved is that if you are to say that it is the good and proper doctrine of how we should understand our salvation, I will say that it's being taught wrong and poorly. Yeah. Because there are so many people who go like, no, I prayed the prayer. Jesus covered all of my sins, past, present, and future. I didn't become saved by my own righteousness so i'm not going to lose it by my unrighteousness right he saved me when i was an enemy if i'm struggling through the thing as a son why would he kick me out and just like yeah those are some good ways of thinking about it but there are so many people who get this blanket thing of like no once you're saved you're saved and you're good but there's no follow-up there's no discipleship there is no renouncing there is no repentance there is no seeking for holiness there is no coming into accountability like you were saying of like needing to partner up with people and go through it together and those things aren't happening and people are just walking with the but i'm saved Mm -hmm. and it's like that's a disservice even if you're going to say once saved always saved is the proper doctrine for understanding the way that it's commonly understood and put into practice with people is wrong. Mm-hmm. And then there's always the little um, side note at the end to where if somebody really, really goes extremes and leaves and they go, they pull out that verse that goes, well, if they go out from us and they were never of us anyways. Yeah. So it's either, no, they're fully saved, but like if it's obvious that they're not, then they just were never a Christian to begin with. And it's like, y- you, you can't do that. That's mm-hmm. not fair. That's not logical. That's not rightly dividing the word. And all of that is to say in that, and even where I'm kind of coming at it a bit harder, is like, I'm not coming with a rule book. I'm not coming with like, a, I'm trying to put you on a standard to live by. I'm trying to come with uh, chapter two, verse 11. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to everyone. This is what your salvation consists of, is that you can walk away, turn away fully of dead, evil, wicked things that bring no life to you or anyone else, that falling into temptation and all of the sin, guilt, condemnation, all of the unlovingness, all of the ripple effect going outward from your innermost to like literally the community around you, that can end. And that's why it's salvation. And that's why it's good news. And that's why you getting a new life in Christ is a new life that you can take off the old thing and walk in the new thing. It's like, it's not about coming and trying to like, oh, well, you're not living up to what I think that the Bible should be telling you to do. It's like your own spirit within you will reveal that. Yeah. If there's a level of conviction in you, that's not coming from me. That's the spirit working there, both on the things that are right that you are encouraged to move into and the things that are wrong that you should repent of, right? Like, so those are the good things. And we didn't really touch much on the false teachers, which we have other episodes that yeah, cover a lot on false teachers. Yeah, we've talked a lot about the false teachers. And then we're going to get into the next series that has a lot more about 
false teaching. So right, but within that, there's a, kind of chapter three, a couple of verses there, verse nine, ten, eleven. Avoid foolish controversies. Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up. Okay, I don't know if we're glad for the same reason. I'll say my thing, then you yeah, can, yeah, you can yeah. end it, right? But say avoid foolish controversies. Hear that? Avoid mm-hmm. foolish controversies, genealogies, arguments, quarrels about the law. These things are pointless and worthless. Reject a divisive man after the after a first and second admonition, knowing such man is corrupt and sinful. He is self-condemned, right? Just looking at, forget anything else about all of the false teachings that are going on. This is telling you, avoid foolishness. All of these controversies, all these arguments, all these quarrels. It's like within American Western church, there's so many people that are so invested into what Christianity means for them and what gets posted everywhere and what they get brought into. And it's just all of these foolish controversies and arguments and quarrels about stuff. And it's not resulting in people being transformed, right? It's like, I'm reading my Bible for the sake of showing you that I'm right and you're wrong and here's the proper way of understanding it, but yet I'm never going to be able to be considered an elder according to these things because I'm not focusing on the right things. I'm so quick to be so quick to attack people over their doctrine, but yet my very doctrine isn't leading me to freedom or to any of these things, right? And it's just... As you said, good doctrine needs to lead to good action. Mm -hmm. And I just feel like there's a whole lot that gets missed talking about all kinds of stuff, but not doing the inner work. Allowing God to do the inner work. God is all for it. He literally sent his son to die on a cross. As Peter would say, providing everything for a life of godliness. As far as God's concerned, he's like, please, turn. Come on. We'll Mm -hmm. run. We'll walk. I'll let you rest. Whatever it is that you're needing at this moment, I will provide it so that you can go in it. God is just like right there. Mm -hmm. All we got to do is turn to him. This is probably where uh, I'll get in the most trouble. Yeah. Um, This verse... Verse nine, mm-hmm. but avoid foolish conversations, genealogies, arguments, and quarrels about the law, because they're unprofitable and useless. Uh, this verse goes out to all my YouTube people who want to debate other Christians on YouTube. Mm-hmm. This verse goes out to uh, that Protestant Catholic Facebook group that I just unfollowed and unjoined because that's what they did. Unprofitable. Unprofitable. That's what that group should have been called. Unprofitable. Pointless and worthless. Pointless and worthless. And you, the YouTube guy that I mentioned a few episodes back, who I won't name drop, but you know who you are. This is you. Um, And for once saved, always saved. And um, the other thought of you can lose your salvation. Both of you are profitable, unprofitable, and useless. Because really what... Paul is hitting here and what God and Jesus hit in the throughout the whole book of the Bible is that it's about how you're living. It's about the fruit and the characteristic. I am not determining who's going to heaven and who's going to hell. That is not my job. My job is to watch fruit and to have discernment. And for denominations across the world that just want to argue and bicker about post-trib, pre-trib, the trib, uh, how to be baptized, when to be baptized, should you be baptized more, or how to perform communion, you are unprofitable and useless because you're not uh, bringing together 
goodness and godliness. What you're doing is you're divisive and you're creating division. This is what Paul is warning Titus. This is why this church, these churches blossomed, because they said, that doesn't matter. What matters? Uh, that list of, are we showing this list of standards? Yeah, that person's got that. And teaching others cool. to do the and same. And are we teaching others to do the same? Cool, we've got that. We don't need to worry about all that other stuff. And there's so much in the Bible that eventually becomes mysteries and things that we just won't fully understand. Um, but we could keep trying. And the only way we're really ever going to really try is not by dividing lines and drawing walls. It's through conversations. So, yes. Yes. I think that within a lot of those things that you mentioned, I think that we would both agree that in a different context of conversation, we say those things are important. We, sh- mm-hmm. we, we should seek to understand those things. But I think that in the spirit of what you're saying is like when Jesus confronted the religious leaders of his time, he said, you guys are trying to make sure that everybody tithes their mint and their cumin. Like mm-hmm. you're trying to get herbs off of everybody and you're ignoring <laughs> the weightier measures of the law. I'm sorry, just the way the herbs off of everybody just <laughs> threw me a little bit. What? <laughs> just because of how we associate herbs with in our... So sorry, stupid. not mature. It was on such a roll for the end, the I crescendo know. of the episode. No, no but really, I'm not blameless. But I, I say that's what you're saying is no. that within our religion of Christianity, we're trying to nitpick on all of these smaller areas yep. of doctrine or splitting apart and not even just giving people the grace of like, hey, you understand baptism that way? We understand it this way. We're both Christian. Obviously, there's two ways of kind of understanding this. We want to be able to come to an agreement and maybe we can work through it, but. Are your people living a holy life? Mm-hmm. Are you standing up for the oppressed? Are you helping the orphan and the widow? Because according to God, throughout the whole book, like you were saying, those things are more weighty. Yeah. So I didn't know that this is how this episode was going to go. Me neither. I didn't expect that to be the ending. Because <laughs> you didn't give me notes. <laughs> There's no questions this time. Oh, maybe next season. All right, so that's... Maybe next season. <laughs> That's it for the forgotten books of the Bible. As far as the ones that are in the Bible, uh, we'll be tackling, like I think we said, uh, the Didache, Enoch, and the Shepherd of Hermas uh, for the next few. Don't expect those to be us diving deep into them. We're going to give you just a brief overview with the hope that you'll go and do some study on your own, and we'll provide some resources so that you can do that. Uh, But then the season after that, we're jumping into Luke. Yeah, that'll be good. Trying to think. For these next few books, it's like not forgotten, just excluded. Yeah, the excluded <laughs> books of the Bible. Yeah, that's probably a good title for it. Uh, but I'm Chris. I'm Yurda. We are your church friends. Thanks for listening. Habakkuk, Nahum, Obadiah, Jude, Philemon, Haggai. Amen.